Thank you, choir, Alan. It's good to sing together and to worship the Lord together. What an amazing experience we had last Sunday night. This place was filled to the rafters, and it was a great, a great time. And we are grateful to our great God who inspires us to worship and draws us into His presence. Grateful for grace today. Um, I'm reminded of... Uh, Three things that never cease to amaze me. First, that, that God forgives. And second, that Melanie loves me. And the third, that anybody listens to me preach. So I'm grateful that we're here. And uh, all three of those are about grace for me. And I fear that sometimes we cease to be amazed by God's grace. And begin to take it for granted. And we should be amazed and speechless and astonished and breathless at God's great grace. Let it take your breath away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that makes us whiter than snow. All we know is what everybody knows. If there, when grace dances, we should dance. We should celebrate, Lord. We should join in the song. There is jubilation in the promise of life that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning to preach. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mrs. Monroe lives in Darlington, Maryland. Her life is somewhat unexceptional except for the fact that she has eight children. Uh, Some months ago, she was with five of those children in their home in Darlington, Maryland. And she came home from the grocery store and they were quiet. In fact, they were too quiet. And so she went to see the source of their quietness and discovered that the five of them were sitting in a circle. And she put the grocery bags down and said, what's going on here? And when she looked over one of their shoulders, she saw that all five of them were holding, each of them, a baby skunk. And she said, children, run. And they did, each taking a skunk and ran. And as she screamed louder, they squeezed tighter. It was not a good thing. Skunks don't like to be squeezed, apparently. And I I wonder if we remember what it was like to be fearless, like children. We live in a frightening world. How do we overcome our fear? This morning in our continuing series in Reconnecting with God, I want us to reconnect with God and His protection and think together about fearless faith, faith that transcends our fear. Would you open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11? Verse 23, we're going to read some seven verses together, Hebrews eleven, twenty-three to 29, and we will share the word of the Lord. Let's stand together, remember our international service tonight, Eddie will be preaching, it'll be a great service um, and fellowship that follows, Hebrews 11, verse 23, by faith Moses' parents hid him. For three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You may be seated. So where do we find a faith that is fearless? Moses finds it first in family. In fact, it is by design that the writer of Hebrews, who has told us, by the way, the stories of of Enoch and Noah and Moses, turns now to Abraham. And if you and I were in the company of great Hebrew scholars today, they would say to us that next, next to Moses, Abraham is the greatest figure of faith in the life of Israel. And he was great like Moses was great because he trusted. He, Moses trusted and Abraham trusted and Abraham was sort of the father. But Moses was next on that list and he has the second most number of verses allotted to him because he had a great deal of faith. And the faith began with his parents who defied the order of the king in order to spare his life. And we see it says they were not afraid in verse 23. And then as we read about Moses, we discover that he too was not afraid. And then that the children of Israel, when they had a wall of water on their left and their right, were not afraid. Fearless faith is transmissible. It is possible to so live with faith that others will see it and catch it. In fact, more is caught than taught. Inevitably, our children will do what we do, not what we say. And so we see in Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, this amazing trust in God. And we see it in Moses' life. And we see it in the lives of the children of Israel. And I wonder if you and I were to take inventory, if we would say we see it in our lives as well. Moses had this amazing trust in God. Do you see that in your life? Do you see it in the lives of those who serve the Lord with us? That faith that says, I would rather stand with God than stand with the world. I would rather obey God than to obey the King's command. I would rather walk with God into the water than to stay with the the seeming safety and security of Egypt. It is a powerful story, a story that you and I need to hear because God wants to develop in us not just a a sort of perfunctory faith, but a fearless faith that we can share with our kids and with our grandkids. I don't need to tell you that there are forces at work in our world that would do great harm to us and to our families and to our children and grandchildren. And in this story, in verse 23, we're reminded that Moses' parents had a reason to defy the king's edict. If you remember back in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, there arose a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. We, we end Genesis on that high and happy note of Joseph being second in command of all of Egypt. But there came a day when a Pharaoh arose who no longer remembered Joseph. And Moses was born in that time when the Pharaoh said, I'm tired of this proliferation of the Israelites. And so what I'm going to do is just is just stop this proliferation by declaring that all Israelite children, all Israelite boys will be killed. And in fact, Jesus was born under a similar edict from Herod, this desire to take the lives of the children. And you and I don't have to read far in the newspaper, do we? We don't have to listen to the news long to hear about some dramatic court case somewhere where some child has been harmed 
by some adult. And when we hear these stories, they are astonishing to us. And I love the fact that Moses' parents protected him. But, but greater than that, it was by faith in the Lord's protection that they were able to protect him and hide him from the king. And I just want you to see there are two reasons. First of all, it says Moses was a beautiful child. The NIV says no ordinary child. He was not just a, a typical child. In fact, I've never known a child that was born to be an ordinary child. You remember Garrison Keeler in Lake Wobegon days says, that's all I have today from Lake Wobegon where all the, all the women are, remember what he says, strong. And all the men are good looking. And all the children are above average. There are no below average children in Lake Wobegon and not in Houston as far as I can tell either. And I remember when our children were born, we just thought they were the most beautiful, promising children we had ever seen. Who knew? And who knew what they would become and do? And we have that sort of dream for our children. But I want you to see that our dream and Moses' parents' dream was not just that Moses somehow looked like a Gerber baby and so they couldn't possibly uh, surrender him over to Pharaoh, but rather when they looked at him, they saw more than what meets the eye. They saw a child for whom God had a great plan. And I want you sometime to look at the children as they pass by you here at Tallawood, as you run into them in your neighborhood or in the mall or perhaps as you are uh, somewhere in the city and you see the children. Recognize this. They have greatness written on them not just because they look good. And all children seem to us to be cute. We've spent the weekend riding bikes and... Uh, just having fun in our home. It's been a long time since we've had a little one running around in our home, and it's been a fun weekend this weekend. But it's not just that they're beautiful or charming or cute or say the neatest things. It's not even that they have some great intellectual potential or even wonderful athletic ability, which is somehow worshipped and put on a pedestal in our culture. The great thing that Moses' parents saw in him and that we need to see in children is that God had a plan for Moses' life. And God has a plan for the lives of our children as well. And that plan is too important for it to be interrupted by those who design to do them harm. And this is why we place them under the Lord's protection. This is why we protect them. Because it's important that they know that they are cared for. The second thing it says, and I think this is important, it says, they were not afraid they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now that's an interesting thing to say, to say I'm not afraid of the king's edict because the king was not just any ordinary king. He was Pharaoh. He was the greatest king on the face of the earth at that time. And with all of his great power, when Moses comes to him and says, thus saith the Lord, let my people go, he says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? I'm Pharaoh. I'm the embodiment of the sun god Ray, there's no god greater than the sun, no god greater than I. Why should I obey him? But it says they were not afraid. Will you agree with me that there are times when it seems right and normal to be afraid? There are things from which perhaps we realize we need to flee. I, I was watching a, a news conference. If you're a follower of college basketball in the men's circuit this year, there's a, a player, uh, Michael Griffin, who... Um, um, uh, Blake Griffin, who plays uh, for Oklahoma. And they were interviewing a, a young man on another team and this week, and this young man was a freshman. And they said, so are you afraid of Blake Griffin? And he said, nah, he's just another player. He puts on uh, his tennis shoes one at a time, just like I do. 
The results of the game would say he should have been afraid. He should have been concerned. His teammate was right beside him there at the press conference rolling his eyes saying, okay, we'll see. I've played against this guy before. And there are things in this world that are frightening to us. And we look at this and say, what does it mean they were not afraid of the king's eating? How could they not be afraid? And here's the thing. They were more afraid of the king of heaven than they were of the king of Egypt. And if we can get that straight, it will simplify our lives. They said of John Knox, he feared God so much, he never feared any man. And if you and I could capture that fear of the Lord, if we could recognize the fear of the Lord, then we would not be afraid of people. I remember years ago in this church, we were sharing in a a funeral with a family and the father who had passed away used to write scripture verses out on pieces of paper and give them to his children just as encouragements to them. He would even put them on their pillows at night so that when they would wake up in the morning there was a scripture verse for them. This became a part of the tradition of that family and as they were sharing this with us Larry Bertrand opened his Bible to Psalm 61 verse 5 and it says you have given me the heritage of those who fear the Lord. Moses had that heritage And every child deserves that heritage. Every child needs that heritage. We were eating lunch this week with a a new friend, a good friend of mine here, took me to meet a friend of his who who shared a story. He knew some of the things that we've been going through. And and he said, you know, I'll tell you an amazing story. He said, my wife and I were on a plane coming back on vacation from Oregon. I had one first-class ticket, and I had one coach-class ticket, and I decided to give the first-class ticket to my wife, which I would say... Men, would you agree, especially Valentine's Day, it was a very good choice on his part. And he went back and sat in coach, which he was not accustomed perhaps to do, but there he was in coach, and, and uh, he sat down next to a little girl. And she began to talk with him. Her name was Desiree. She was six years old. She captured his heart. He, he about halfway across the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the trip, said to her, well, um, who are you going to see? I'm going to see my daddy. She said, well, did your mommy put you on the plane? No, I've never seen my mommy. Well, well then... Who put you on the plane? Well, my caseworker put me on the plane. I live in a, in a children's home in, uh, up in, in Oregon. And, and uh, the more he talked to her, the more he fell in love with her. He heard some things about her dad, made him a little bit worried about her dad, you know. She said that her dad took her riding in a truck across the country for a whole year. Her dad's a truck driver. And, and it just hit him. He thought, you know what? He had three sons of his own. He said, I think we ought to adopt this child. He went up and talked to his wife in first class. said, she's not only adorable, I think she's adoptable. And he gets the information about her and he, uh, he meets her dad when they get off the plane. There's her dad, a big hulking man with tattoos up and down his arms and he said he met the father and they had a good conversation but he just didn't know and so he called and he said hey we're willing he called the caseworker and said we're willing to adopt this little girl and the caseworker said well she needs to live with her dad and her dad's not a bad guy he said are you sure she said no he's really not a bad guy well why isn't his daughter living with him well uh, her, 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 her mom is in a lot of trouble with the law, but, but her, dad, um, her dad actually, um, he can't afford to bring her down. He doesn't have the money to do the legal fees to get her down here. And my friend said, well, I'll take your word for it. If he's a good guy, then I'll pay for his daughter to be reunited with him. And the caseworker said, well, that would be an amazing thing to do. He said, well, I'd be glad to do it if you'd just take care of it. Just let me know. And he waited for a call. She didn't call. He kept calling her. She wouldn't call him back. A period of months passed. They wonder if it's ever if they're ever going to hear and then they're sitting in church here in Houston one morning they went to a service that they didn't typically go to and looked up in front of them and there was this this great big man with a, a tattoo on his arm with his arm over the pew up in front of them and he poked his wife and he said hey I think that's Desiree's dad and his wife said honey not everybody with a tattoo is Desiree's dad <laughs> he said I know but I think I recognize the tattoo and so he went up and sure enough it was and this man had become a follower of Christ 
And he said, well, have you heard from the caseworker that we're willing to help your daughter? He said, I, I haven't heard that. And he said, well, I'm willing to do that. And the rest of the story, it's a happy story. He, he, the, my, friend, my new friend paid for her legal fees so that she could come and be reunited with her, her dad. And they get to see her very often. And every Mother's Day, his wife gets a Mother's Day card from Desiree. It's an amazing story. It's not the way I would have thought that story would have ended. But it is a reminder to us that if you and I have our eyes open, there are people in need all around us and the work of protecting the children. As my friend Dave Peterson uh, over at Memorial Drive Presbyterian says, to, to create a place where children can be safe, that's something we can do. The, the, new, uh, the, the new president of the Baptist General Convention of Texas says, we can't do everything as Baptists in Texas, but we can make sure that children don't go to bed hungry at night. That's something we can do. We can make sure that we put the gospel in the hands of every person in the state of Texas by Easter of 2010. We can do that. And Eddie is leading us to be a part of that. And I just want to say to you that if we have fearless faith, we are willing to risk something in order to receive a greater reward. It says he was able to do this because he saw the reward. And all the things that would harm our children in this world, there is so much. There, there is pornography and there are drugs and, and alcohol abuse and all kinds of things that threaten the health and safety of children. But among them, as we read verses 24 and 25 and 26, we read that God provided Pharaoh's daughter to take care. That's a miraculous story in its own right. But verse 25, listen to what happens to Moses as he grows up with fearless faith he chooses rather to be mistreated with God's people than to experience the temporary pleasures of sin. He chooses, he chooses the reproach of Christ over the treasures of this world. And I'm not going out on a limb when I say to you, some of the things that threaten our children these days are the treasures and pleasures of this world. And Moses had access to all of that as a prince of Egypt. He had access as one in the royal household to all kinds of pleasure, but he leaves that behind and chooses to walk through the wilderness. He leaves the sumptuous feasts of Pharaoh's house so that he can eat manna that falls on the ground because it is better to be in a spiritual community than to experience temporary sinful pleasure. And I'm not going to argue with you this morning that sin is not fun. I heard a preacher years ago say sin is fun for a while. I am sure that that is true. But sin is only fun for a while. And there will be, as R.G. Lee used to preach, a payday someday. And that payday is not worth the temporary pleasure of sin. We live in this hedonistic world, but Psalm 84 verse 10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. It, it, it is better to live in the, in the house of the Lord, even if you're at just a doorkeeper, he says, and we appreciate our ushers around here. Better to do that, by the way, than to live in the tents of the wicked because the, the abodes of the wicked are temporary. That's why um, Solomon, who knew something about the pleasures of this world, says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, I have tried every pleasure under the sun and it is all meaningless. It leaves us with nothing. Isn't that what Hemingway discovered after experiencing the hedonistic life of this world? 
at the age of 61, he finally came to say, life is just one thing after another and despaired of life itself. Though he'd experienced every pleasure this world has to offer. And Moses said no to something in order to say yes to God. He re, he, look at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. He didn't actually know Christ, but he was looking forward to God's deliverance, wasn't he? And his experience is not unlike that of Christ who was thrown outside the city gate. And Jesus uh, left the temporary Jerusalem because he knew about the heavenly Jerusalem. And we hear him here, it says about Moses at the end of verse 26, he could leave the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. You say, but think about the treasures of Egypt. Just think about that. They're still discovering. Just this week I heard they, they found another one of those uh, casks with um, 32, now at least 32 new mummies that they have found. And of course the grave robbers have robbed much of it. But they found one mummy that was intact. And they're going to do a scan of that mummy. And they believe that there will be golden amulets that have been sent with. Why? Because that way you can pay your way in the next world if you've got a little bit of gold with you. Of course the grave robbers came and stole it. Not this person in particular. But, but I thought about that and I thought all of that belonged to Moses. Moses was, do you see it? He was the son of the daughter of the Pharaoh. In fact, they found recently, January 8th, they found a female Pharaoh from about 200 years before the time of Moses. All of that wealth, all of that opulence. Think about the archaeologists who, who opened up King Tut's tomb and looked, and as the dust settled, somebody said, can you see anything? And he said, yes. And they said, what do you see? And he said, I see wonderful things. Gold everywhere. And Moses left all of that behind because he could see a greater reward. And what would it profit us if we gained the whole world and lost our souls? If you close your eyes, can you, can you hear George Bevshay sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold? Is that us? Or do we sort of say, you know what, I'd like to have it all. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, than to be the prince of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. That's verses 25 and 26. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, anything this world affords today. Is that your heart? And if that is not your heart, please do not rest today until that is your heart. Because nothing this world affords can possibly compare. It says he looked forward to his reward, which was not something. Can I just say the retirement benefits of serving God are out of this world, literally out of this world. And if we're looking for this world to reward us for serving God, we're missing the point. Serving God is not about temporary treasure in this world. Jesus said, don't build up for your tre yourselves treasures here on earth. You say, well, the stock market has taken care of that for me, Pastor. I, I, I'm, I'm already there. Okay. Now, what is life really about? If it's not about watching those numbers on the stock market, what is it about? It's about looking forward to a greater reward. And you know what it says? It says he was able to do that. He was able to face the Passover. He was able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Why? Because he had fearless faith. He wasn't afraid of the Pharaoh. Because he lived with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, Solomon would write, is the beginning 
of wisdom and knowledge to fear the Lord is better than than the treasures of knowledge in this world. And what he teaches us is that you and I can live with that fearless kind of faith. And how can we do that? It says, I want you to see at the end of verse 27, because he saw him who is invisible. He He didn't see for instance, in the, in the burning bush, he didn't actually see God's countenance there. In fact, there was a time when Moses would talk with God and God would say to him, what do you want from me? Well, what if God said that to you today? What do you want from me? Would it be material? Say, oh, God, I want, no. What do you want from me? And Moses said, I would just like to see your glory. I would like to see your glory pass by. And God says, you know, you know what? I tell you what, I will hide you. What did we sing? He hides my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. What if God hid us and kept us safe? You know why Moses wasn't afraid of the Passover? Why he wasn't afraid to walk into the Red Sea? Because he knew that God is the God who protects us. And we can trust this about God. That He is already working to protect us in this world if we will receive it. And I think the children understand that. And I pray that we will become like them. I read this week about a little boy who was reading the story of Moses going through the Red Sea. and He was just rejoicing, visibly, audibly. And a man was passing by and saw him there and said, What are you so happy about, son? He said, Well, I'm so happy because God parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked across on dry ground. And the man said, Oh, let me tell you about that. He said, I I took a course about that one time in college. And archaeologists say the Red Sea at that place is only 10 inches deep. So probably the children of Israel just waded through the water. But anyway, so just wanted you to know about that. And delighting himself in the fact that he had seemingly enlightened the little boy. He was about to go away, but the little boy started thinking about it. And he could tell the little boy was still happy. And he said, well, <laughs> some people can't be happy if other people are happy. He said, what are you so happy about? He said, well, I was just thinking, can you imagine? Not only did God part the Red Sea and the people walk across on dry ground, but God used 10 inches of water to sweep away Pharaoh and all of his armies. (laughs) Well, I love that kind of faith. That faith that trusts God above everything else. And I want Tallawood to be a place where we trust God, filled with People with fearless faith who believe that God can do everything that God says that God can do. And when we come to that place, someday, someday I think you and I will find ourselves just like the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 14. And we'll be standing there and the Red Sea will be on one side and Pharaoh and his armies, whatever that threat is on the other side, we'll be between the proverbial rock and the hard place. And on that day, I'm going to ask you not to look at that which frightens you, but instead to follow the one who protects you. And when we find ourselves in that place and we follow after him, we will find ourselves walking in places we never thought we could. And we will live to see the protection of our God. Have you decided? Because I have decided to follow Jesus. To see the one who is unseen by the world. To fix my eyes on him because he is the author and the perfecter of my faith. And to see him, no turning back. No turning back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of worshiping you and singing songs that declare our trust and our faith in you. 
and hearing beautiful music and reading Your Word and sensing Your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as Your Spirit began to stir in Samson, that Your Spirit will stir in us so that our children and grandchildren will look at us and see that we have fearless faith. In Jesus' name, amen.